a year to the day when all of Italy and uh, the footballing world was shocked at the sad passing of Davide Astori. Uh, that is when we are recording this edition of Seria Sit Down, World Football Index's podcast of Calcio, told like it is and always at the highest level. Um, I'm Frank Crivello. Uh, with me is co-host Richard Carmen. Ciao, Richard. Ciao, Frank. Uh, nicely put that opening there. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about a captain. Um, we're talking about a citizen of Florence, a, a man that a city and a country embraced. Um, a, he's the captain. He's the uh, teammate. He is the person that uh, you wanted to have in your team. And, uh, you know, a year to the day, uh, the emotions are still felt. Um and uh, bravo to Serie A, to Lega Calcio, to the teams, uh, to the stadia around Italy that had games, and to the fans for paying tribute in the 13th minute. For And I said this on Twitter today, Richard. For everything that Serie A seems to butcher, and for everything that Lega Calcio seems to butcher, uh, they nailed this, they got this right, and they did it very tastefully. Yeah, they actually got something right this weekend. Uh, no, it was very, very well done by them. Um, initially, many people thought that they, they would stop all games at the 13th minute, but, uh, luckily they just give a big applause, uh, on the 13 minutes in every game. Some games, uh, the players were aware of what time it was and kicked it out just in time, you know, and, uh, it was really well done all the way around. You saw the emotions all the way through the league, um, from the Fiorentina game, especially, you know, Ilicic being a former member and obviously the club. Uh, La Viola, and then every all throughout the league, this guy is giving their paying their respect, uh, obviously with clapping, but also uh, several emotions you can see throughout throughout all the all the gentlemen uh, in in Serie A this weekend. Yeah, I mean, very well done, and you could see the emotions. There were some of the players. I mean, Josip Bilicic, in particular, um, uh, couldn't couldn't particularly hold back the tears for Atalanta when they did the tribute there between Atalanta and Fiorentina. Obviously, former teammates from his time. Uh, with La Viola, um, you know, and I, I, again, I think it was just, it was tastefully done all around. And like I said, I said, you know, Serie A and Lega Calcio get a lot of things wrong and we're going to get into some things that they got wrong, uh, here, here coming up. Uh, but, uh, my kudos to, uh, everyone who came up with the idea for how to pay tribute to a story, uh, and to, um, uh, all of Serie again, all of Serie A, the teams, the fans, uh, the stadiums uh, was was very well done uh, all the way around, and uh, again, a, a story a story had so many colleagues in Serie A, so highly thought of, um, and uh, again, a great a great captain, a great teammate, a great friend, a great a great husband and father too, uh, by all accounts. So um, so thank you uh, uh, to uh, Serie A, Liga Calcio, and everybody involved for the uh, for the tribute. Well done. So, um, unfortunately, we, I have no good segue uh, for this weekend. Now, this would this this match week twenty six, Richard. It had just about everything in it, didn't it? I mean, tw- first of all, twenty nine goals. So, goalkeepers aren't making this uh, play, making the plays of the week list this week. No, but a couple goals came close. But now you're right. It was just goals galore. We, um, you know. Big matches, referees getting involved again, um, making me angry. 
as I got on Twitter. Um, and uh, I've uh, I, I, I may end up being in rear form here, Richard, as we go through this podcast. But let's uh, let's get started with uh, let's get started with the very top. Yeah, so the the big game of the weekend, at least for um, the outside world, all of Europe, and you know they were looking at the Napoli hosting Juventus. Uh, it was certainly a big game. Uh, you know, before we get into, let's get to the lineups of these games. Uh, starting with Napoli, the host, uh, Alex Moret was being goal, uh, and in the defense you had Kevin Malquit, Nikola Maximovic, Kalidou Koulibaly, Elside Husai, and then you had uh, Jose Callejon, Alan, Fabian Ruiz. Piotr Zielinski, Arkadiusz Milik, and Lorenzo Insigne. Pretty good, pretty standard lineup for uh, Napoli. And uh, for the visitors, uh, we're going to read through the lineup here. Uh, Gianluca Rocchi, uh, Wojciech Szczesny, João Cancelo, Leonardo Bonucci, Giorgio Chiellini, Alexandro Emery Chan, Marilyn Pjanic, Blasma Tuidi, Federico Bernadeschi, Mario Mandzukic, and Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, Frank, obviously, I mentioned the first name on that, on that um, team sheet was uh, Gianluca Rocchi. He was a referee in this one, and as we know, uh, he <laughs> tends to play favorites in uh, this league, huh? You think? <laughs> um, just a little bit. Um, but let me back up and let's talk about Napoli's lineup. Usai was an, it was a curious inclusion for me over Goulam. Yeah. Um, you know, in a game, I mean, and let's just look. There, there's, there's just a massive gap in this going into this game. It was 13 points going in. Uh, we know it's 16 points now. But I mean, if you want to have any shred of trying to trying to run these guys down, you know you need to have the ball. You know you need to be able to establish things. And I thought Gulam would have made sense um, as the left back in this game. Um, it's possible that Ancelotti said, "Hey, if we get a result out of it, great." But our eyes are on uh, Europa League now uh, and consolidating second. And I think that that's the statement that Ancelotti made by playing someone like Husai, maybe trying to. Get a little bit defensive cover because Husai might be regarded as a better defensive uh, fullback than than Gulam, although it doesn't take much to be better than Gulam. Um, you know, at least defensively, we know he, we 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 know that defensively Gulam has put up some stinkers in the past. So that one that one was curious to me. Um, otherwise, the rest of it was standard. A great opportunity for Merritt, obviously, and a great opportunity for Malqui, who had been showing some really good form here over the last several weeks. Uh, so it was a pretty standard lineup for Napoli for Juve. Um, uh, Bernadeschi starting over Dybala was certainly interesting to me. Um, this time they went with Cancelo after I ranted last week about, about uh, well, I'll say it again, the shit, Leo. <laughs> so... Um, but uh, other other than that, it was relatively it was a relatively standard Juventus lineup. Uh, Mandzukic was there, Ronaldo, Ronaldo was there. I actually tipped Mandzukic for a goal because this is this is the occasion where he steps up and scores. Um, and uh, you know he didn't in this game, but uh, you know standard Juve lineup. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, so this game was uh, it did go back and forth. Uh, you know, it started off. Peter Zielinski had an excellent chance early on. Uh, he misses just wide, and then the game got interesting in the 25th minute. Um, a turnover by uh, by Napoli leads to a, a breakaway chance for Ronaldo. Merrick comes out to meet him to try to to minimize a chance. Uh, Ronaldo goes flying over. Um, a foul is called. A red card is called on Moret. Um, Alex Moret is. Kicked out of the game just like that, Frank. Uh, obviously, controversy there uh, with the red, straight red for Alex Moret. Uh, 
way way harsh for for me. I don't know about you, but that that's um that changed the game completely. It rendered the game unwatchable after that. It really did, and I'm and I'm still upset about it. And I I I went after it with a couple. I I, I got after it with a couple people on Twitter over this, and I basically chased Rocky Lega Calcio. So here's where I get really pissed off right now, Richard. We the, the Fiorentina Inter game last week. The Sino scores a goal, and VAR is in the referee's ear for 15 to 20 minutes. And I, I listened to Chloe and, and Nima go back and forth on this last week on their podcast, and I agree with them. And this is the problem. You know, this is very much in line with the things that I've been saying, and the problem that I have with VAR. You know, in the time it took, you know, what what the hell are they watching? And in the time that they took, I probably could have gotten through uh, Ben Hur the movie and the cast and credits, which is longer than the movie and by, and, and been done and not missed anything out of the Fiorentina intergame and could have said, yeah, that's a goal and, and things go on by comparison to what, what, what happened here merits a straight red. And, <laughs> you know, uh, it, it was, it was, it's almost as if Rocky just probably went to VAR and said, are you guys good with this? And VAR said, yeah, we're good. Just go on. And you know, by comparison. Okay. That's a joke. All right, so that's one problem that I have. Okay, they should have taken a more extensive look at this to see if there was actually contact. They should have seen that Allen was getting into a position where Merritt wasn't necessarily the last man, and in that case, you're probably looking at a yellow. Okay, um, but this destroyed the game. This totally destroyed the game. And how is that a red? And the and the Chesney challenge on Juricic is not a red. And people say that Juve and the Juve fans are going to say they're not privileged. And Adam Digby, who I respect, I wanted to say to him on Twitter, you really shouldn't have a voice on this right now. You're a Juve fan. You need to back off. And Napoli fans need to back off. And I love, and, and Ken and, and, and Rafa and the guys at Far From Vesuvius, I think of the world of those guys too. All right. But Juve fans and Napoli fans, I understand you're going to have a voice. You can use your Twitter. You can say whatever you want. But right now, your opinions are not valid on this because you are, you are fans of, you are directly fans of what's going on in this game. All right? Serie A enthusiasts like Richard and myself, neutrals like Nima Tavali and Chloe Beresford, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, Matt Santangelo, uh, the guys at Italian Football TV, uh, you know, all these other guys. Well, maybe not Marco because Marco's Juventini. Um, this is our moment to step in and weigh in and say something and said, you know what? This stinks. This is a stain on Serie A. This is a huge problem with Serie A. Refereeing is inconsistent. It favors Juventus. I'm not afraid to say it. And this was a glaring, glaring example. That's a red, but ask Philip Juricic if he thinks there's Juventus privilege. He should have gotten a penalty, and Chesney should have been sent off when Juve played Sassuolo. If you're going to send off Merritt, then they should have sent off Chesney a few weeks ago. Period. Plain and simple. And VAR should have taken a more extensive look at this. That probably, I mean, if anything, to humor the fans at the San Paolo, all right, to humor the fans at the San Paolo, they should have taken a more extensive look at this. There was a clear and obvious error in terms of a decision to give Merritt a red card. There was hardly any contact, okay? And who's the player Who's the player that's victimized in this situation? Cristiano Ronaldo. Doesn't he have history, Richard? A little bit, yeah, a little With, bit. <laughs> just a little bit. 
So let's all. I mean, and I guess that that doesn't maybe come into play. But let's 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 take a let's take a deeper look at it. You guys are going to spend an eternity looking at Vecino's goal where there was absolutely nothing wrong in the Fiorentina Inter game last week, but you know, barely three to five seconds on this on this on this incident here. It's a joke. It's a sick joke, and it's Juventus privilege, and I'm not afraid to say it. And if that discredits me from the podcast world, so be it. I am sick and tired of going into Juventus games worrying about the referee being involved when he shouldn't be. That's a mouthful there. Yeah, no, I mean, I can't disagree with you there. Um, the way I look at that play is I do think that Moret knew what he was doing, and, and there was a foul on Ronaldo. Not that he touched him, but the fact that he interfered with him, uh, getting in his way like that caused him to jump over. But I also so I thought, I thought there should have been a yellow on Moret. But I thought it should have been a yellow on Ronaldo for diving as well. Um, it was a, a terrible dive. He didn't touch him at all whatsoever. I mean, he did get in his way, but uh, that was a terrible dive by Ronaldo. I should have got a yellow for that. Um, it was a terrible play. Like you said, they, they took no time to, to really look at that play, as it did the opposite, you know, in the Fiorentina match, like you mentioned from the week before, uh, where they took ages to, to look at that play. And when, uh, we thought it was obvious at that point. So, like I said, uh, you know, FIGC, they got to really look at this stuff because they're, all the fans are now trying to, well, last year we were, we were applauding them for the work that they did. This year, it's just quite frankly the opposite. All the fans are now saying, get rid of VAR because they're messing this up week in and week out. And especially for big games like this one with when Juventus is involved. So, um, it's, it's pathetic, really. And, you know, it didn't, want, it didn't really result in a, in a penalty kick per se, but, you know where where the, where the spot was. It was basically a penalty kick for Pjanic, and that's why he took he went and scored a beautiful goal off of that. So all around, that absolutely changed the momentum of the game 100%. And uh, when I saw that play, I was like, oh, that okay, that's this game's not going to end well for uh, Napoli. But hey, they did make it a game though. You got the world watching this game. That is your advertisement to the rest of the world. On yeah, El Clasico was the day before. Okay. And there wasn't anything else on it. Marseille was playing in, in, in Liga, by the way, Balotelli. <laughs> we see you. We know what you did. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, this was your advertisement. The two best teams in Italy and Rocky, the little prick, gets involved and makes a horrible decision and makes a decision that's basically a microcosm of the problems that we have in Serie A with officiating. It's incompetent at its best. And the VAR this season is incompetent at its best. And that's where I'm embarrassed. That's where I was embarrassed. That's why I was so angry on Twitter. That we've got a showpiece game in Serie A to show how far Serie A has come, that it can run with the big boys, and we've got to have this little pencil neck prick get involved when he shouldn't have got and, and make a bigger decision than he should have made there. All right? And, VA, and, and we could have proven to the world, especially the people on that island that are – bringing in VAR next season, how effective VAR can be. It was a joke all the way around. But, brilliant goal by Pjanic. Yeah, it's about time uh, Ronaldo gave up the reins on those free kicks because obviously the best kick, free kick takers on the team are Pjanic and Dybala, and this is why Dybala, uh, Pjanic should be taking these kicks. Cause he makes This is like his fifth, fifth free kick goal in the last uh, 10 tries or something like that. When's the last time Ronaldo scored five goals? A free kick in, in his career. I mean, it's been a while. 
So uh, agreed. Yeah. So you know, it's good that Pjanic finally got a chance, and he may do. I mean, he may do. Hopefully, he gets him and Dybala get the rest of them. But um, wonderful, wonderful goal. Uh, no doubt about that. Uh, so that's one nothing, one nothing right there for for Juve over Napoli on the road, and to boot, you know, they got a man advantage at the as well. Um, Napoli nearly responded immediately. Pieter Zielinski gets hits it off the post. A near immediate response. Um, you know, we, for a little bit further in the first half, uh, there was a set piece or a corner kick for Juventus. Uh, Emery Chan would get the goal. Uh, it would be two nothing to Juventus, just like that, and two nothing on the road goes to halftime. It's. I mean, if you if you're neutral watching the game, you probably turn the game off already because you're like, there's no chance that, that Napoli are going to come back. I turned it off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm sure sentiment in the stadium were like, "Come on, really? We got to see it for another half of this because this, this is not going to get pretty." Um, I have to do this podcast. I have to do this podcast, and I have to weigh my opinion on this game. I turned it off, Richard. That's how pissed off I was. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that, when shit like that happens with with poor refereeing, it makes you want to turn off these games, and it's it's unfortunate because, you know, a game like this is supposed to be a show a showpiece for for Italian football ends up being muck because of the refereeing now too bad you know rest of the rest of the europe didn't see fiorentina or fiorentina and atalanta because that really was a showpiece for Serie A. but we'll get to that later um so yeah it's two nothing at halftime not much hope you know really for the napoli fans until just after halftime uh, Miralem pianic picks up his second yellow uh for a blatant handball he gets sent off and just like that it's 10 10 and maybe there's a glimmer of a hope um, Napoli do take advantage of it at the 61st minute. Uh, Insigne with a wonderful cross in. Callejon being where he needs to be in the back post gets a goal, pulls back one. Um, Napoli had their chances, Frank. Uh, they hit posts, they had quality opportunities. They even got a penalty kick in this one, Frank. And uh, Insigne hits the post. I mean, the post was not their friend this weekend. Now, let me come to Juventus's aid here. That's not a penalty. That is not a, you know, that is not a penalty. Much like the shit Leo when he played for Milan, that wasn't a penalty either. I mean, the incident is very, very similar. But I, I can get the argument. I was actually listening to uh, the Grumpy Pundits this morning, and Tommy Smith brought up a very good point. If that is on the way, um, if you know, because that happened on the end line. If that is on the way to the goal, and um, he handles it, and it alters the direction of the ball, and it doesn't go in, shouldn't that be a penalty? You know, right. as inadvertent as it was. And you would argue then, yeah, that's a penalty. So in that case, I get the argument. But that's one where, you know, let it go. I mean, Fabian Ruiz was fine and was ready to take a corner kick, yeah. you know, um, and, and and wasn't expecting to get a penalty at all. So it's almost it kind of felt like a just a, a makeup call, you know, in, in, in a sense. Um, personally, for me, I. I would not have given that penalty. I would have gone to VAR and said, yeah, inadvertent, take a corner kick. Can't really feel bad for them because they have a lot of those types of calls go their way. Yeah, yeah. So um, they get one in there, but uh, uh, unfortunately for them, it didn't pay off. Insigne hits the post on there. And, um, yeah, the game ends 2-1. And uh, the title, if, ever knew, if there were people out there, hopeless romantics, who thought maybe, just maybe, a win could make this a, a title race again. Uh, that's, that's long gone and dead. Um, we, we both thought the race is over already. Um, and it certainly is now with a 16 point gap. It's, uh, is this, is this bad for the league to have 
a 16 point gap between the first place and second place team. We, you know, we look on, we look on the, on paper and these two teams should be evenly matched, but I mean, just basic consistency on the season. Yes, Juventus, Juventus is doing Juventus things and, uh, you know, you got to give them a lot of credit for, for the, the wins they have and the consistency they put, even when they, when they're, when they're shit, they still, they still get the results. Uh, they're resourceful. Uh, is this bad for the league to have this kind of a uh, discrepancy? Napoli should have won this game. I mean, oh, yeah. they just, I mean, once it got to 10 v 10, not, it was, there was one team, there was one team on the pitch, Napoli. Okay. Juventus were, Juventus spent the rest of the game treading water. Um, by the way, I turned it back on once I saw, once I saw on Twitter that Pjanic got sent off and it was 10 v 10. So like, okay, yeah, I want to watch this now. <laughs> so, um, they completely outplayed, they, they completely outplayed Juventus. They, you know, aside from the, uh, the, the red card incident with Merritt, I mean, did you, did, was Ronaldo even on the pitch? Um, yeah, exactly. You know, so so they did their job on him. Um, you know, it was uh, you know, Insigne was all over the place, pumping chances. I don't know how Pietro Zielinski didn't score. Yeah. Uh, in this yeah. game, with some of the chances he he had. He was fantastic. Um, you know, Ruiz was terrific in the middle of the park. Uh, you know, so I mean, just this is like, you know, Napoli lost the match, but they were the better team. In this game, I mean, even when even when they were down to ten men and playing ten v eleven, they still managed to to carve out a larger piece of possession than you would think when you're playing with playing a man down. They almost looked better when they were down a man. I'll agree with that. I'll definitely agree with that. You know, they the, the um the issue that I have is you know it's just it's they destroy they go out and destroy Parma four nil, but. That's kind of been an outlier here in the last few weeks with Napoli. Their, their finishing just hasn't been there, at least in the league. Um, you know, they had a couple of nil-nil draws there where they made Lafont and, and Sidigu look like uh, team of the season contenders. And granted, those two goalkeepers are having good seasons. I get it. Um, and and they come back into this game and they completely misfire. I mean, the the early chance there from Zielinski. I mean, Bonucci gift wrapped for that for him. Um, he, you, you got to put that away. Uh, so, you know, that was one. I mean, Milik had to be sacrificed here in the, uh, you know, when the red card incident happened. So that was a shame we didn't get to see because Milik had been in some pretty good form coming in. He, he had the brace last week against Parma. Uh, it would have been interesting to see how he would have done performing against the two center backs for Juve. Um, when you look at Juve, Richard, Emery Chan was really good. Okay. But that's it. Um, you know, and I should, I, I guess I'll say Chesney had a good game because, you know, all the chances that Napoli had, he, he, he was able to keep him at bay. Um, but, uh, you know, the rest of it was, and I've, and I've been listening to some people talk, um, you know, on whether it's talk radio or whether it's some Twitter opinions, and I'm kind of falling in line with some of this logic. And, and let me ask you this do you think Juve are tired? They certainly look at, I mean, it looked like, you know, there was a time in the time of the season, maybe a couple weeks ago or so, maybe a few weeks more, um, where yes, Juve was losing or, or playing poorly, but as so were all the big dogs in Europe. But now all the big dogs in Europe are playing well again, except for Juve. And they, they certainly do look tired and it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. I mean, it doesn't make sense because they, they got pretty good rotation, I think. I mean, yeah, they have a couple older players, especially in the attack, but it's no reason for them to be tired. And I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's certainly a curious one, but, Hey, you know, they're still getting results. They're, they're got a 60 point lead. As bad as they look, I mean, yeah, their Champions League hopes may be dwindling here, but, you know, they, and they're playing 
tired, like you say, but they're still somehow getting results. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, uh, and that's just the, I think that's just the experience of Juventus at this point. But I think we all are having a consensus and, and, and Calcio Twitter is all having a consensus from, you know, after the 1-0 win at Bologna and after this win here against Napoli and just judging on how they're performing, they are no way close to looking like a team that's going to be capable of reversing that 2-0 deficit against that Atletico when they play next week. No, no, not at all. No, so so yeah, it's 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 interesting here because, you know, how much can they keep this up? Now, given their form and kind of given how they're performing in games, do you still think they go without losing in Serie A? No, it's getting closer and closer now. I mean, even the even some of the mid-table teams are really pushing Juventus. You get you know, there's a couple teams here at the top that could uh could unseat them. Um I think they're going to lose maybe a couple games this season. Uh, at this current rate, the, the way they look tired, the way they've not been clicking, um, I see a couple of losses in the season. You know, it doesn't look like it. Like if you look at the look at the what the record is, that you wouldn't think that, but I I see a couple of losses showing up. Yeah, it's it's very likely. Um, I would say I would say that it is. I think that uh, you know it's going to be interesting to see where they happen. Um, so let's let's just look at at Juve's slate here. Uh, and try to see if we can. You and I are going to be homers and say that Milan are going to go to the J and win, right? Of course. <laughs> the way that the yeah, way that Milan the are playing right now, you have to like their chances. You really do. Um, all right. Well, here, here's here's what's next for them. I mean, they're going to host Udinese on Friday, uh, so that they get a little bit of a breather uh, before having to play Atleti. Um, then at Genoa, uh, hosting Empoli, at Cagliari, hosting Milan, at Spal hosting Fiorentina at Inter, hosting Torino at Roma, hosting Atalanta at Sampdoria. So that's their run-in uh, the rest of the way. Where's the loss going to be there? Milan and Atalanta. Oh, you think Atalanta can go to the J and beat them too? I do. I do. They're, they're, it looks like they're getting back to their goal-scoring ways. they got six goals in the last two games, both, granted, both against Fiorentina, but still. I would love Milan to go to the J and beat them. There's just I I don't know if that's gonna I I hesitate to th- I hesitate to think that that could happen. But I, you know the way they're playing, who knows? Um, I think the most likeliest loss is at Inter. Yeah. All right. And I you know um, I think Inter had a hiccup here on Friday. Um, I don't think that it's a a, a, a I, I don't think it's a sign of things to come. At least I hope not. Um, but or at least I hope not for Inter's fans' sake. As Milan as a Milan fan, I. I hope I hope they totally fall apart and that Cagliari is the beginning of it. But, um, but as an objective Serie A podcast host, we'd like to see Inter continue. You know, I don't. Know. You know the bullshit I'm trying yeah. to say, right? I don't, know, I don't know if Inter's as dangerous without Icardi. Yeah, they're a good team, but Icardi is like that poacher, that killer instinct that he has in those big games. So they're gonna be, he's going to be missing those. While they're going to play well, they're going to miss someone like him uh, in the big games when it's, when it matters. Um, I think, you know, for sure, you know, when, when the season comes down and, and the title's already wrapped up, they're going to start playing some of their, their kids out there, and that's when, you know, teams are going to beat them. But uh, it's going to be hard. I mean, Juve, Juve you know, despite, whether they play good or play bad, they get results. And uh, it's something the rest of Serie A needs to step up with if they want to, you know, make get the title away from them because at present it doesn't seem like they're going to lose the title for the next 10 years. If Perisic is on form, then – um. Then I, then I, then I like Inter when they play. 
without Icardi. Okay, but Perisic has to be on form. And because I, you know, well, we'll talk about the Cagliari game. I don't think he played well against Cagliari. Uh, and it, and as a result, the Inter didn't play as well as a team. So, you know, uh, that's their, that's their, that's their key going forward. If they're not going to do it, if they're going to do it without Icardi, then Perisic is the man that needs to step up. Lautaro's going to get in position and score goals, but they're going to need it from Perisic. So, but anyway, back to Juve. Like I said, I think if there's a loss, it's at Inter. Um, I hope Milan can do it at the J, but it's it's off. That's awfully difficult to go and win there. Uh, so, so time will tell, um, and we shall see. But uh, uh, Juve have a 16 point gap against Napoli. Let's talk real quick about Napoli's uh, Europa League game on Thursday, uh, hosting uh, RB Salzburg. Um, you know, I mean, the consensus that we're getting here, Richard, is. <laughs> If the, if the performance suggested anything here against Juve, it suggests that Napoli is a if if they care about this, which they seem to, they are a they are a uh, they are the favorites to win the Europa League, or very or, or if not, they're at least joint favorites with Sevilla, as we noted. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, on paper, they're probably one of the best teams in, in, in Europe, um, and you got to be with them and Sevilla. They got to be favorites uh, on the tournament. You know, Sevilla for the pedigree. And in, in Napoli, just for the way they play, and they got Ancelotti, you know, he's their X factor, and all their players are really playing well right now. Even they got, you know, the good rotation they have on their team. They're certainly a strong, strong team. Um, but you know, that said, RB Salzburg, they're not, they're no slouches either. They, they, they went deep last year in the tournament. They got some good players. Uh, they'll make it tougher than, you know, than, than the outsiders will think. Maybe Serie A fans think, you know, Napoli should wipe the floor with them, but Salzburg will give them a go. I mean, I, I fully expect Napoli to win, but, um, like I said, it's going to be closer than I think people will, will like to see. <laughs> Agree with you there. Um, let's uh, let's see what happens. Uh, let, you know, let's see what happens. I mean, Salzburg, first of all, they 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 attack. That's how they know how to play. They're going to want the ball. Um, yeah, ask so Lazio. Napoli can. <laughs> what's that? Ask Lazio. Yeah, yeah. They they're going to want the ball, and they're going to be capable of scoring goals. Now, for Lazio, for Napoli. You know, they basically they they got to be organized. I like their chances in particular because I don't think Manu Stabur has ever seen anyone like Kalidou Koulibaly. So, um, I, and I think that that's going to be a struggle for him. I think that you know, they're like I said, their wing backs are going to provide some pressure. Uh, they get some help from everywhere. Hannes Wolf again in the midfield. That's another guy to watch. But overall, if Napoli played like this, um. I think they're going to go ahead and they're going to win on Thursday against uh, RB Salzburg to take the advantage to Austria. I'm going to go 3-1 to Napoli. This is going to be one of those where about the first 20 to 25 minutes are just going to they're going to have a little bit of a hangover from playing Juve, but then they'll just get it into gear and they'll give themselves a little bit of a cushion heading to Austria. What do you think? Oh, that's pretty good. Um, yeah, it's not. I, I agree that they're going to have a little bit of a hangover in the beginning. I'm going to go two nothing Napoli. Um, I think they'll get the result. Koulibaly is going to do Koulibaly things, shut people down, um, and then Napoli's going to do enough possession-wise to, you know, keep Salzburg from attacking too much, and they're going to, you know, get their chances, whether it's, you know, Insigne, Zelinski, or whoever. But I think it's two nothing is a is a good scoreline. Yep. Okay. So you go two nothing. I'm going to go three one. So, um, all right. So Napoli and Juve are wrapped up. Let's uh, uh, let's move on to the Derby della Capitale. Okay, so uh, 
man, we had three great games uh, on Prospect here uh, this weekend. And uh, now we go to the Derby della Capitale, Lazio and Roma. Um, you know, this is a derby that uh, where anything could really happen, Richard, when you consider these two teams, kind of the mentality, kind of we talked about how flaky each of them are. Um, you would suggest just kind of based on Lazio's form against the so-called Big Six that this could be a win for Roma, especially Lazio playing at home against big teams. Strangely, they haven't been very good in these kind of games at the Olimpico when they're designated as the home team. And yes, I know they both share the same stadium, but Lazio is the home team in this case. So going in, you thought, well, if anything's going to happen, Roma's going to win, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like you said, based on the based on the record for Lazio against the top six, quote unquote six, uh, my money would have been on Roma winning this game, probably, probably you know by a big score line, but. Um, we, uh, Lazio actually showed up for once and, uh, you know, that's good for, for Calcio and, and not so much for EDF. No, no, um, not so much at all. So, uh, let's just run through the lineups. I mean, uh, we, we know what we get with Simone and Zaghi. It's a back three, uh, Strakosha and goal. Bastos, Acerbi, and Radu were the back three. Marusic, uh, occupied the right wing with Lulic on the left. And then a midfield of Milinkovic, Savic, Lucas, and Luis Alberto. And then it was Felipe, Caicedo, and Joaquin Correa in attack. Uh, and then Roma with their 4-3-3. Robin Olsen in goal. Uh, Alessandro Florenzi, Florenzi on the right. Fazio and Juan Jesus in the middle. Uh, Alexander Kolarov on the left. Midfield of Cristante, De Rossi, and Pellegrini. Uh, and then El Shadawi, Jekyll, and Zaniolo in attack. So pretty straightforward. Um, but a game that you had to feel, Richard, I mean, Roma was going, we, we kind of predicted Roma would probably win this, or you, you'd think logic and based on form against good teams that Roma might edge this. But when you're looking at that defense for Roma, clearly there was going to be goals in this game, weren't there? Yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, Juan Jesus has been pretty pretty poor this season. Fazio hasn't had the greatest of season as well. Um, Quote-unquote, Fanalasia, they've been struggling all year. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was just begging for goals to be scored against them, you know, and then the only question would be, how many goals could Roma score going the other way? And, um, you know, we, we learned quickly what that what that answer would be. And we would uh, learn it. Uh, we would learn it to our surprise, really. Um, it would be Lazio that would open the scoring on 12 minutes. Joaquin Correa playing in Felipe Caicedo, brilliant goal here. Uh, Going to just fall short of our goals of the week, but a good one nonetheless. And that set the tone with Lazio ahead by a goal to nil. And that's how it would be uh, at halftime. Um, possession pretty even, but. Lazio in the first half, Richard, but Lazio did a whole lot more with uh, with their possession than Roma did. Yeah, and 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 Lazio have had these moments throughout the season where they play, you know, excellent first halves, you know, doing well with what possession they have and getting good opportunities. Um, they got a goal in this one, which is great, uh, great way. Do you want to go into halftime with a lead? Uh, but yeah, Lazio definitely looked like the better of the two teams, looking like the more uh, the more interested one in and trying to get goals in this one. So so good for Lazio. Uh, to go in a, in a big game like this for them, absolutely a big game. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, but a goal to nil, uh, they take the lead, and then uh, some substitutions start to take place here. Um, uh, it was uh, Zaniolo exited the game in the 61st minute for Perotti. Zaniolo was poor in this game. Um, 
We'll talk about him here after we get through this recap, Richard. Uh, Immobile would come on for Caicedo, uh, and then uh, Javier Pastore comes on for De Rossi just a couple minutes later for, for Roma to try to get something going going forward. And then um, Simone Inzaghi, I mean, these guys kind of almost played you know, with, with these substitutions. They countered each other because once uh, uh, Di Francesco brings on Pastore, uh, Inzaghi brings on Parolo and brings off Luis Alberto. So... Um, in minute uh, in the 72nd minute, a foul in the penalty area. Fazio commits it, gets the yellow card, and Chiro Immobile, who came on as a substitute, steps up, takes the penalty, makes it 2-0 to Lazio, uh, and uh, gets pretty much puts Lazio in position for the three points. Um, but then it would be settled. Uh, just before stoppage time in the 89th minute, a goal of the week candidate, Danilo Cataldi, uh, on an assist from Sergei Milinkovic Savic, uh, to put this thing away by three goals to nil. Um, the only other incident, uh, in the 93rd minute, Alexander Kolarov would say something about the referee's mother, get a yellow card for it, and then just moments later, he would commit a foul that would get him sent off. So, um, that was the one casualty from this game. Uh, it was a red card, a double yellow for Kolarov, um, ending, you know, having him suspended for the next league match for Roma. But Lazio 3 0, and um, the uh, that wind, <laughs> that wind that you felt after the game all the way in Washington, D.C. from Rome, Richard, and I felt it in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, was. Uh, the collective size of relief from all Lazio fans that they finally actually beat somebody with a pulse. And I bet they're oh so happy that that win came against Roma, right? Uh, they're they're bitter rivals, and they finally get a win against the top six team, and it and it's it's in the Derby della Capitale. So and that's great stuff by Lazio. You know, we we've been looking for them to really step up against one of the big six teams, and they finally did it, and 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 the in the Derby no less. So uh, great performance by them, you know. You know, Roma had a couple opportunities in this game. Pastore missed a point blank chance, as did Jekyll, you know, early in the second half before the Immobile goal. But, um, you gotta give, you gotta give Lazio credit where, where credit's due, right? Yeah, they kept attacking. They didn't deviate from their, from their normal game plan. They kept it together defensively, which is the most important part because, you know, the, the, the attack that they had to face have been doing pretty well this season, right? It's Zagnolo, El Sharawi, and, and Jekyll. They've been, they've been pretty formidable this season. And they did a pretty, pretty good job of them holding them back. And, um, yeah, lots of all around. I mean, Strakosha, he made some fantastic saves in this game for me. He was player of the game for me for Lazio because he made some big saves at key moments. There was a big save on Florenzi, uh, that could have made it, I think, 1-1 at that point, uh, with a wonderful save over the bar. So it all around team effort by Lazio and, uh, kudos to them. And, uh, yeah, it's getting worried, getting more and more worrisome just when we thought Romo, you know, had it solved. Again, back in this uh, Champions League race, um, they go and uh, lose a big game like that. And if, and if Lazio didn't do this, they're sitting in tenth. Ooh. If they didn't win this game, they would be. That's how big these three points were. They'd be sitting in tenth if they if they didn't get this done against Roma. They weren't going to ever beat anybody that was in front of them, and they were going to miss out on Europe altogether. So this win puts them right back in the picture. Um, you know, certainly for Europa League with an outside shot at Champions League. Um, you mentioned Sotokosha. I agree with you there. I thought he was terrific in this game. But I want to also make sure we give our props to Francesco Acerbi. I'll give the hot take. Oh, yeah. Probably his best game in a Lazio shirt. Yeah, which is hard. Which is you know that, those are big words because he's played pretty well for Lazio. But yeah, this is a great game by him as well. I, I thought he was uh, he was stout defensively. You know, just shutting down the, the big boys for Roma. 
yeah, I agree with you there. Um, you know, so, but then on the flip side, uh, you know, the, the, the golden boy, um, had a bit of a shocker in this game. Yeah. He, I, and while he's done some great stuff this season so far in big games, including even Champions League, uh, this one, he, he was, he was a small fish in a big pond, uh, did not do too much. And, you know, you got to give credit to Lazio for that, but still, he was very uh, non-existent in this game, and, and there's a good reason why he left it with a 61st minute or so. So um, he had no impact in the game whatsoever, and he was really hampering their the Roma attack. And a big reason why they couldn't get any goals is because his inability to create any opportunities. And um, Robin Olsen, it's just not working. This team misses Alisson big time. Yeah, I mean, why aren't they even playing Marante at this point? You know, Olsen has just been... Uh, Shit housing this whole thing, <laughs> this whole season really. And anytime, I mean, Marante had some couple good games. He had back-to-back shutouts, didn't he, or something like that. And um, I don't know why they keep playing Olsen at this point. There's, you know, this. We had the, he had the clean sheet win against Kievo and then followed it up, played in the Champions League against Porto, and, and he gave up a late goal. Right. But so there you go. He played really well, and so. But why they bring back Olsen? It's just cut their losses where they're at because he's obviously not, he's not good enough for Syria at the moment, or at least for Roma. Uh, he's hampering the big time, and like you said, he's no Alisson, absolutely not. So, um, yeah, it's his, uh, it's time to say goodbye to Olsen, I think, and and, and let Morante start to rest it away. Yeah, I mean, if, uh, there's, and you mentioned this a few weeks ago, Richard. There should be no controversy. Morante should be the starter. He has, when exactly. he's been given his spot starts, he has been better than Olsen. He's proven it. So. Um, when they sold Allison, they couldn't find a goalkeeper, so they they brought in Mirante for perceived cover, and then I think they panic bought Robin Olsen because I'd love to know what went on in Monkey's head because there had to have been somebody else that they were they were hoping for that they just couldn't get, um, and then they settled for Olsen who just you know had a you know obviously had a good World Cup for Sweden, um, performed well through the years when he played for F, when he played for FC Copenhagen. Uh, especially in Europe, he had some pretty good games. But now coming into Serie A, where all of these, I mean, just attackers from left and right, it's a different Serie A than it used to be a generation ago. And he is just exposed in this league. His positioning is poor. Um, it doesn't seem like he can organize a defense, but at the same time, to his, def- you know, to kind of defend Olsen a little bit, Fazio is terrible. Juan Jesus is terrible. Alexander Kolarov is a shell of himself as a defender. He's really in there for set pieces and for crosses, and they stick him out there at left back, and he is just toast whenever he goes up against anybody with pace. Um, you know, Forenzi is proving with each passing week that he's an average, average player for Roma and in turn, unfortunately, an average player for the Italian national team. Uh, there isn't a whole lot of spark from him. So there's not, you know, he's got crap in front of him you know and 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 that makes it a little more difficult and i think that that exposes him that much more um so big problems for roma big problems for eusebio di francesco you talk to any roma fan at this point and they say he's on the chopping block so that said richard it's for that very reason that they're going to go to porto and they're going to get a result that puts them through to the last eight (laughs) so yeah, they're gonna and I'm going to predict go, a score go, draw. Go for it. A score draw? Be, okay. Yeah, it's going to be 2-2 because every damn time we go through this with Di Francesco, every damn time, what happens? He pulls something out of his ass and he keeps his job. He keeps the house in the uh, in the ritzy part of the Roman suburbs or wherever he's living and, and, and all of this wonderful stuff. <laughs> I mean, it's going to happen. 
Poacher's not eliminating Roma any. Roma's gonna go. Roma's gonna go through to the last eight, and Juventus is not. That's gonna be the comedy of all of this, Richard. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. I mean, he has to because if he doesn't, he's gonna end up living in the Vatican or somewhere. Um, I, I agree with you. No, he's gonna be seeking penance in the Vatican. <laughs> <laughs> but I agree with you. Every time we we we're ready to you know cut his head off, he comes back with a performance, and it's usually in a big game like a Champions League. And I I agree with you. I think they're gonna win two one in that game. Uh, just because, you know, EDF does know how to win these European games. He can't figure it out in Serie A for whatever reason, but, uh, and, and, and your European nights, he seems to, to put it together, and especially when his back, everything's against him, uh, he seems to show up. So, uh, I fully expect Roma to go through to the final eight. And, and like you said, Juve, who's pulling away from the league, you know, doesn't make it, and Roma, who are struggling to even make a Champions League spot, are, are moving on. So, uh, yeah, it, it's just a comedy of errors. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, I mean, and then you look at the table now, Lazio and Roma are three points apart. Fifth and Roma's fifth, Lazio's sixth. Um, you know, I mean, I still go, I, I still walk away from this saying Roma probably have the better chance of unseating the Milan clubs than Lazio do, even with this game. But there's a whole lot they've got to figure out. I mean, and if, if, if EDF figures out Mirante should be the goalkeeper, then that's a start. Yeah, I mean, I think majority of the Italian uh, Serie A fan base uh, can tell you that Mirante should be starting, but uh, whatever EDF um, has his reasons, and uh, hopefully he comes to reala- realization sooner than later for uh, Roman fans because uh, this, if this keeps up, you know, they're going to be they're gonna be only in a Europa League spot and not uh, not even close to Champions League, and they may even get uh, surpassed by uh, their uh, their rivals, their local rivals. So, indeed, indeed. So, so that was the that was our recap of the Derby della Capitale. Uh, we've got one more main eventer: Atalanta and Fiorentina. Yeah. So the game of the oh game of the weekend, aesthetically, at least in my point of view. Um, yeah, you know. Napoli and, and Napoli and Juve, they take the billion, of course, and obviously the Derby della Capitale. They're obviously going to be the, the big draws, but I think if you're looking at it as a Serie A purist and um, just for entertainment value alone, you got to look at no look no further than Atalanta and, and Fiorentina. Just look at what they did at the Coppa Italia game, where it was a three-three uh, barn burner there, and this one kind of picked up where the other one left off. Frank, uh, this one in Bergamo, um, it started early. It was a, it was off a, an errant pass. A throw-in by Atalanta, and Luis Muriel gets it. He needed a sniff on goal. That's all he needed. Third minute in, gets a goal. Uh, wonderfully placed, wonderfully placed goal there. Uh, Muriel, he just can't stop scoring for Fiorentina, can he? What a pickup this guy's been. Um, and, and like I said, great that he now has a place where he can hang his hat because this is a talent, and somebody just needed to get the most of it. And right now, Fiorentina appear to be doing that. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it was an opportunistic goal. It's not like some of the other ones that he scored. Certainly not like that free kick he scored last week. Yeah, but, yeah. but, um, but they all count the same, don't they? And uh, he got Fiorentina off to the perfect start. He did absolutely. And um, you know, this game was obviously a big one because obviously Fiorentina's involved, and it's the anniversary of Astori's passing in the 13th minute uh just like you'd expect if you're an Atalanta actually kicked the ball out right to 13th minute uh just you know to give homage to Astori and then, and then everyone applauded Ilicic like we mentioned earlier uh certainly felt it being a former teammate of Astori a good friend of his so um that was a, that was a good gesture by by Atalanta there um and then you know you know fitting enough we we're talking about Ilicic 
he ends up getting a goal off a, a, a wonderfully tricky play uh, by Atalanta. So uh, Papu Gomez goes down. He gets fouled, and while well, well, he's sitting on the ground complaining, Atalanta sneakily get ready, and they set up a play, give it to Ilicic. Ilicic takes a shot, scores. Uh, so two or one one at that point for Atalanta, as you'd expect. Ilicic does not does not you know celebrate whatsoever. He just you know as calm as you can be because obviously this game means so much you know for Fiorentina and for Astori for the, the for the um the semblance there. So uh, good on him on that, Frank. Uh, but Ilicic again, he just continues to be a a key player for Atalanta. I mean, without him, I don't think. Zapata and Gomez, well, maybe Gomez, but Zapata would certainly not be as good as, 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 and Atalanta would not be as good as they are because they need him. Uh, he can, he can score goals and he can set up plays. Yeah, definitely agree with that. And, um, well taken goal. Um, and again, didn't celebrate, uh, it was his former club. So just went up and embraced Gasparini. Um, but, uh, set up well there on that by, uh, Freuler, uh, by the way. And, uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, but, uh, yeah, gets, uh, gets Atalanta right back in business. Game on. I mean, you know, we saw this in the Copa Italia at midweek, 3 3. And, uh, right off the bat, we see two goals in the first 28 minutes. So it was, uh, you know, we were kind of thinking, here we go again, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it's, I, I failed to mention, but both Muriel and, and Illich's goals are honorable mentions for goals of the week. They didn't quite make it in, but they're, they were right there. Um, but a goal that did make it to the goal of the week, and it was, uh, Papu Gomez. Um, he, uh, wonderful, wonderful run, you know, pretty much goes through the whole Fiorentina defense, uh, gets a shot off and scores a, a rocket of a shot, low, low corner, uh, in the 34th minute, gives, uh, Atalanta the lead two to one at this point, and it's three goals here in the first 35 minutes of the game. Uh, they would go into halftime by that scoreline, but, uh, what a strike by Papu Gomez. Uh, he did celebrate after this because it was a well-deserved goal, a, a wonderfully placed shot. And spoiler alert, this is the goal of the week. Um, it was. Yes. I mean, just scored. That was a man's goal. And this guy, he, he was the man of the match by a, by a margin. Um, I mean, he was, I mean, he was doing, he was his usual dealing self in this game. Um, you know, creating his own chances, creating for others crossing. I mean, it was a vintage Papu Gomez performance and this goal was just the, uh, this goal was just the tip of the iceberg with him in this game. No, it certainly was. He was, he was like, like you said, dealing. Uh, Papu Gomez is a special player, and when he's when he's on his game, I mean, there's there's not many players you can say are, are that much better than him. Um, it's it's a really a, it's a it's a it's a wonderful treat for Atalanta that he stayed there, but uh, you know, it's so many other people have not got a chance to see him, and you know, it's a pity he doesn't get more playing time with Argentina as well because uh, he is a truly truly special player. Um, so yeah, the scoreline, like I said, would go two one at halftime. Um, Atalanta would add a third with another honorable mention, in my opinion, for, for goals of the week. Uh, Robin Gosens. This was a, a great team play. I mean, I think every player was involved in this. The, uh, Atalanta kept the pressing up. They had an opportunity for a goal. Uh, it comes out. It goes back to the right-hand side. Um, the right back, Castagna, kicks it across the, across the pitch to the other, to the left back, and Gosens with a wonderful tap in. It was just a beautiful goal overall because they, they kept pressing Fiorentina. Uh, non-stop on this play, and it probably probably lasted about a minute or so, just chance after chance, and they finally got it in, but it was a wonderful cross and a wonderful finish. Yeah, I uh, agreed there. Um, I mean, just the icing on the cake and just stealing the three points for Atalanta, who, um, you know, obviously a very balanced game between these two teams uh, at the Franchi in the first leg of the Copa Italia semifinal in midweek, but this one was far more Atalanta than it was Fiorentina. They, they bossed this game. Um, 
And uh, Atalanta Fiorentina, much better advert of where Italian football is at than uh, Napoli Juve, that's 100%, for sure. 100%. 100%. So, excellent, excellent goal. Carry on, sir. Yeah, so now that, that wraps up all the goals in this one. Yeah, you know, Fiorentina had their opportunities. Um, you know, Berisha played, you know, oh, actually, Berisha did not play in this game. It was actually Pierluigi Golini. Uh, he made some great saves in this game. Uh, Lafont had a couple big saves as well. Uh, but you know, the game would end three to one. Atalanta get the win. Um, good performance by them. You know, we, we wondered a couple weeks ago, have they, have they dried up? You know, have they lost their scoring ways? The last two games against Fiorentina, they've scored six goals. So, uh, I think they're back to their scoring ways. They now they've got to figure out how to ways to stop other teams from scoring. They found a little bit in this game some magic defensively, but, um, you know, as long as they keep scoring goals, I think they'll be in, in, in good, in a good shape to, you know, make that march towards, you know, not only Europa League, but maybe Champions League as well. Yeah. I mean, this is pretty cut and dry. I mean, it's, if they can defend better, they they give themselves a chance, and they're certainly a much they're they're, they're doing much better than eighth. Um, you know, if they had a defense, I mean, you kind you take a look at the you take a look at the goals against right now in the top four, um, and they're they're all among the best defenses in Italy, uh, along with Torino. Um, but and, and we've been saying this week after week, Atalanta. If, if they had a defense, Atalanta is easily a top four side right now. But that's what's keeping them out. Yeah, 100%. All right, so those were the three big ones. Let's uh, go right ahead and uh, batch the rest of match week 26. And Richard, I'm going to start with um, I'm going to start with the uh, the, the two Milan uh, teams because we want to try to link tie this together and then uh, we have a little story to tell about some news regarding AC Milan and Inter. Um, but we'll start with the games. Friday it began with Cagliari taking on Inter. Um, we've always talked about how uh, difficult it can be uh, to go to Sardinia and to try to get a result. It seems like Inter was one of the teams that could go out there and do it, so that's where this game took on some interest. But it would be uh, Cagliari that uh, would uh, strike first in this one. Um it was a uh, free kick uh, that was taken by Cigarini that seemed to have been headed in by uh, the defender, uh, Cepitelli. It turns out it was an Ivan Perisic own goal. Nonetheless, it gives Cagliari the 1-0 lead. Um, but uh, that lead would be relatively short-lived uh, in the because seven minutes later, uh, it was Rajan Angolan, uh putting a cross into the near six and it's exactly what you want from a near post cross. You want it driven so that all the guy running onto the ball has to do is touch it on the goal. He doesn't even, he doesn't have to do a whole lot of work. He just has to get there before the defender does. That's exactly what Latara Martinez did. Um, just got his head on, directed it on target past Cranio and equalizing the match at one, one, but just before halftime, Leonardo Pavoletti, honorable mention, great cross from Dario Serna. Pavoletti gets there first, heads it past, Handanovic to give Kelly the 2-1 lead. Uh, shock on the cards, and then that is actually how it would finish. Um, Inter uh, all over them in the second half, uh, 70% possession, 17 shots, uh, many of them being taken by Lautaro Martinez. 
But Cagliari getting the 2-1 win over Inter and uh, that whole going to Sardinia thing, uh, catching up to the Nerazzurri, Richard. Yeah, and uh, maybe they didn't get the memo how hard it is to go, you know, to play against Cagliari. I mean, we were we've been saying it all season long. We've been saying it for for a while now that you know, going to Sardinia is certainly a hard place to play. Just watch any of the games; they seem to have they feed off the crowd. They play so much better offensively and defensively. So, um, Inter, I guess we're not ready for this. So we're ready for the hard fight. And while they did, you know, boss a lot of the possession, especially in that second half, they couldn't find that scoring touch. You know, Latoro Martinez had that great header. Uh, or, or a little bit earlier, but you know, after, besides that, I mean, what, what did they do? They didn't do much else, you know. They, yes, they kept possession, but they couldn't get the goals, and that's a, that's a that's a big big trouble for them, especially if they're trying to not only stay in the, in the third spot or, or in the Champions League spot, but you know now you got the other teams below you that are you know gaining it on you. So uh, this is not a good place for for Inter. It's the wrong time to to be losing games like this. You know when you know if you have a big lead and you do this, okay, whatever, but. Uh, now the race is closer, and that's why, um, you know, why they got surpassed this weekend as far as position on the table. Uh, Cranio was terrific for Calgary. Uh, the two fullbacks were very good. Uh, Cerna obviously getting an assist. Luca Pellegrini was very good. Yep. Um, you know, and then, uh, you know, Cigarini was, was rather influential in the midfield, did get a yellow card. You know, on the inter side of things, the whole controversy and the whole storyline right now is Moro Icardi and, and, and everything that's surrounding it. But yeah. look at Lautaro Martinez. I'm going to read off his statistics. Scored a goal, uh, and that was one of two shots on target. He had six off target. He had three that was blo- three that were blocked. One of those shots hit the woodwork. Um, he was fouled once, and he also intercepted a pass. Those are some of the major statistics when it comes to Lautaro Martinez. You know, I, I think that Inter and Marotta have this right. We're not going to mess around with this Icardi thing. We've got this kid. He's doing just fine. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we, we knew that he was a special player when they signed him. And he, he's finally, I think, acclimated fully to Serie A. Uh, he, you just read the statistics. I mean, he, he was after it. He was trying to get goals in this game. You know, credit to Cagliari for, for blocking several of his shots. He did get a goal. I mean, a header, no less, you know, for a small player like him. So, uh, he knows how to find the net. He, he, he is a big type player. Um, he has the skills to not only set up players, but also score himself. So, you know, this gives them an opportunity, enter that is, for, um, for him to develop and, you know, even gain more confidence. And, you know, they can move on to the next chapter of their lives, you know, San Zicardi. So, um, yeah, it's a great time for now to give, uh, Arturo Martinez the opportunity to develop and, and, and gain his confidence because, you know, we're, we're, he's not going to get that on the bench, right? You, you need to play him. And, and so, uh, they're doing, a, I think they're doing a great thing right now. And Marota, you got to, again, give him credit for everything he's doing so far with all the drama around there. Nangalan flashing some form, too. I just thought I'd point that out. Uh, obviously had the assist in this game, and it seems like he's better now without, um, Icardi in front of him. It seems like he's been putting on some better performances. Pedisic, a uh, little bit of a stinker here in this game uh, for him compared to what he's been doing in the last few games. So, and, and as I said earlier, I said for for Inter to sustain things in state top four, they need Perisic to be more influential than this. And I thought this was a poor game from him. Yeah, it's not what we've come uh, grown accustomed to seeing. Um, hopefully, this is just a uh, a small thing he'll get over because they need, like you said, they need him to perform. Um, I think if he's playing at the top of his game offensively, and then you got like guys like Brozovic or something playing, uh, doing his thing defensively, Inter are hard to hard to beat. Uh, but you know, luckily for Inter, well, not in this game at least, but 
they have other players and like I said, a lot of Tudor Martinez is stepping up, but Perisic, uh, he needs to get it together because now, now that Icardi's not there, he is going to be looked at to be like the main guy to lead this team. And he has obviously the talent. He can be world class when he wants to, but, uh, the consistency lately has not been there. And, um, hopefully for Inter's sake that he gets it back on it because, you know, when he's on, Inter, Inter are certainly a Champions League team. Yep, for sure. So let's uh, let's see if they can rebound from this Inter. Um, let's let's just go through Milan's results real quick. A one nil win uh, over Sassuolo. Um, it was a, a uh, we thought a goal that was bumbled in by Musacchio. Turns out Polirola got the last touch. It was an own goal uh, in this game. Um, interesting incident on this one, Richard. Andrea Consigli with the uh, professional last man foul getting sent off on a foul on Piantec. Now, I mean, we, we got to keep this consistent. If we didn't think Merit was a red, I'm not sure this was a red either. Yeah, I didn't think Don Draper should have got kicked out of the game for that play. I think, you know, it should have got a yellow uh, yellow on that play. But, you know, Concili, uh he gets the boot. And, um, again, it's 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 wrong by, by Serie A. You know, but I, I guess, in a way, they were consistent. Both goalies got kicked out, Meret and Concili. But I agree, just like we said with Meret. That he shouldn't have been kicked out. It should have been a yellow. Um, there was there was a defender behind him that you know could have stopped the play. So uh, poor call, unfortunately for Sassuolo. But um, yeah, it's 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 something they they need to look at and you know get VAR involved and 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 get a better ruling on this because it's, it's it just hurts teams more than anything else. I agree with that. Um, definitely agree with that. It's uh, you know it just need. I mean they just need consistency at this point. So I mean it. it if, if 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 one's not a foul, if not if one's not a red, then the others aren't a red, and everybody's got to kind of get this get this together. I mean, and I get I get human perception, I get that people are going to uh, interpret things differently, and that's you know that's part of human nature. But I think in something that's important when it comes to points and when it comes to teams uh, prospects for uh, for achieving ambitions or achieve, achieving things throughout the season, referees owe it to the players to try to have some degree of consistency here. So, and I think that that's all we're asking for. So, Milan jumps ahead of Inter, uh, Richard. Now they're in third. Inter's in fourth, and, and you know, at least Milan have a little bit of a cushion here uh, with Roma's loss. Um, but uh, I mean, we're homers, but we're going to say this: Milan are the form team in Serie A right now. They are the only team who has more points than Juventus, and over the last, I don't know how many games it is, but they're they're the top top informed team in, in Serie A at the moment and you know even games where they struggle to, to do anything offensively as far as goals go defensively they're stout their midfield is you know boss in play now and you know Gattuso's really got these guys at home in, and they're playing Champions League type football uh, which we haven't we haven't said that in a while for Milan so uh, yeah things are turning around now and at least the red side of Milan and um, Gattuso has these guys really doing playing really well and uh it's 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 great to see. I mean, it you know for all those vintage Serie A fans to see Milan Milan being back in the upper echelon talks with you know we talk about you know Napoli, Juventus, and Inter. Uh, yeah, it's, it's great. It's great for Serie A overall because it'll it'll certainly attract more more fans to the league. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, but the the news now, uh, Richard, that we want to get to and talking about these and. You know, I, before I get to this news, let's talk about Inter. They got to go to they got to go to Frankfurt on Thursday in the Europa League. Um, you are a, you you've got some Bundesliga knowledge. Um, 
your take on how you think this first leg is going to go. What little I know about Eintracht Frankfurt, I'm going to go with a score draw here, but you know a little bit more about them than I do. So go ahead. Yeah, this is this is going to be an interesting game. Um, I think Inter are going to have to play. Nine Galan going to have to play at the top of his game. You know, you know, the entire Inter squad are going to have to play tough. While they thought you know playing at Cagliari was going to be tough, going going to Eintracht in the current form that they're in is going to be super tough because they got a three head monster with Jovic, Rebic, and 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 Haller. Uh, those guys know how to score. They all scored double digit goals in, in the Bundesliga. So. Um, and Eintracht are really good at home as well, and, and defensively they're they're pretty strong. So um, Inter are going to be up for a, a tough battle in this one, and and I, I love to pull for be the homer for the for Serie A and say you know Inter are going to get a a win or even a, a draw. At this point, I don't see it honestly, and and I, I could say, I'm gonna say I'm gonna make it closer than I originally wanted to say, and so I'm gonna say it's gonna be two one for Eintracht at home. Ooh, okay. Okay, so you're going to go 2-1 to Eintracht. I'm going to go with the score draw. Uh, so either way, we both think that, uh, um, you know, <laughs> my score draw, Inter's taking something home. Uh, you you say 2-1, so they'll they'll get the away goal. So Inter's going to take something back to the San Siro, and now it's just up to them if they can go ahead and close the deal uh, in Italy in, in match day two. So now the news that I want to get to, Richard, and it's been reported um, – by multiple outlets, uh, it turns out that um, there now is going to be talk of a new stadium in in the San Siro district or whatever you call the district. Um, it sounds like AC Milan now wants to move forward with a new stadium. Uh, originally, uh, both ownership groups were talking about getting in and renovating the San Siro to try to modernize it. Uh, but what they did recently here, Richard, is they uh, both groups, both clubs uh, sent delegates and it was kind of a combined uh, delegation uh, to the United States in particular to check out modern stadiums. And uh, two of note that were from some of these news reports that are coming out are the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, uh, where they have the retractable roof. Uh, But they also wanted to have a look at MetLife Stadium, where the the uh the the american football uh new york giants and new york jets share a stadium so they're kind of looking at a modernized concept of a shared stadium by two teams which is what they would be doing so resulting from all of this you know they i think a few months ago they were all talking and said yeah let's renovate san siro let's try to modernize it as best we can well now ac milan's group is saying i think we want a new stadium i think we want to move ahead with a new stadium the location's not far from where the existing san siro is and now inter sound like it's up to them whether or not they want to follow suit. And as of some of the reports I read that they don't have an answer, we don't have an answer from the inter side of this yet. But just some early thoughts on this. And I don't want to get, you know, into a knee-jerk reaction here. Um, but your thoughts, I mean, how would you feel about a new San Siro? And the other thing here is that it sounds like that they would sell the naming rights to a company that would be interested in having their name on the arena. And I think they would – that company would have to kick in $25 million a year for the stadium, um, you know, if they chose to have their name on it. So your thoughts on a new uh, – on your, your thoughts on the potential for a new San Siro? Mixed feelings because while I would love the revenue coming in for, like, you know, the naming rights for the stadium, I don't want to be called – what is it going to be called, like, you know, Gillette Arena or some BS? No, you want to call it, like, San Siro or whatever. Um and also, 
what I'm hearing is going to be it's a 60,000 seat capacity stadium. What? That's a smaller stadium by far. Milan drew 60,000 with Sassuolo playing, who who are nobody. Um, what are they going to do in the big games? What if they get back to Champions League? 60,000 is nothing. San Siro is a, a, a difficult place to play when it's packed to the max, whether you're Inter or Milan. Um, 80,000 seats, it's it's daunting when you go there. And now you're going to go, you know, minimize that and make it 60,000? No. If you want to make something, how, make it big. I mean, I mean, it was, uh, let me play devil's advocate here. How often has San Siro been packed? Well, it hasn't been over the last several teams, years. And I, and, I get the, yeah. and I get that the product has not been conducive to, you know, the desire for a packed stadium or, you know, you know, the fans aren't going to consumers are not going to invest in an inferior product. You know, and that's let's let's just face it. AC Milan and Inter Milan over the last, you know, several over the last handful of years here have been an inferior product. You know, so. You know, you look at what Juve did. They they got the Juventus Stadium, and I think that's like a forty-eight thousand seat stadium. It's not very big, sure. And they pack it every game. Sure. You know, they don't have they don't have trouble getting they don't have trouble filling that stadium. And in that regard, I, yeah, that makes sense. You know. Yeah. Juve. I'd rather go for. I'd rather a packed stadium because I'd rather a packed stadium and have the atmosphere. You know, than what I'm seeing with the San Siro, where there's eighty to eighty-five thousand seats available, and they, you know, it, it you know, and and maybe they get. 40 to 45 per game, but because the stadium's so big, it just looks half full. I guess from 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 an, from an optic standpoint, for me watching it on TV, I you know when I, the the occasion that I watch Bundesliga matches, those stadiums are packed. When I watch Premier League matches, those stadiums are packed. Uh, La Liga um, today, Leganes and Levante, that stadium was packed. These are two teams that I mean on mon- on the Monday night. So, you know, I, I think that. I, I revere the San Siro. It's what I know. It's an icon. And I said this on, on, on the social media outlets that I have access to. I think Lambeau Field is the San Siro of NFL stadiums here in the United States. I think that the San Siro, San Siro is, San, San Siro and Lambeau, you know, as far as iconic stadiums go hand in hand with their respective sports. That's how much I think of the San Siro. And I had my greatest sporting memory there. You know, and I've said it many times on this podcast. When my wife and I honeymooned in Italy, we had tickets to see the Derby in in September of 2008 when Milan beat Inter on a Ronaldinho goal. My favorite sporting memory of all time, because I was there to see it. So, um, so there's a little nostalgia for me with the prospect that the San Siro, may, the old San Siro, may be no more. But I think that I also get change, and it's time to modernize. It's time to come up with something that. You know, will generate revenue that will get consumers interested, and I think that will, in turn, also get players interested. I mean, modern technology, modern facilities sell. And the, the stadium has to be built right. It has to be the 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 fans have to be right on the pitch. I mean, kind of like Juventus are you know, it's, it's a, at the well-built stadium. There's no doubt about that. And, and you want to have a, a close, intimate encounter with the fans. To make it that, you know, if you're not going to have a big stadium, at least you can have that big stadium feel when you have the fans, you know, yelling at you right on top of you. That's the way it should be built. If it's something built like, you know, with a big warning track around it or something uh, something like that, I'm totally against it. So, I mean, if they, if they build it right, it can work for sure. And it'll obviously bring in money, which is um, also another big thing. But, like, you know, I'm a nostalgist and I, and I love the San Siro. So, I, I'm, I'm, well, I'm for the change. It has to be built right. Um, but, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting. I'm also curious about this, you know, Partnership with with Inter, um, you know, 
I can see obviously why that would work, you know, especially with the big games, but you can also, kind of also want your own stadium, right? So, I mean, it's, it's so many factors to think and I go, I go back and forth with, with every argument you can make for the, about the stadium possibilities. So, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, I guess we'll be waiting to see. Obviously we have no say in this. So I always have to sit back and, uh, see what happens, what develops, you know? For sure. For sure. So, I mean, it's still a very, you know, it's a very fluid situation. We don't know if Inter is on board with going ahead with a new stadium as of this recording. So, you know, so we'll see what happens. But, I mean, some of the stuff that broke today, it certainly was worth talking about here, uh, you know, and seeing the direction of a new stadium for the city of Milan. Um, you know, we'll see what happens with that. And then just totally unrelated to, uh, uh, well, maybe somewhat related, uh, Richard, Tuesday of uh, this week is, uh, is, is Pachki Day, Fat Tuesday, and it's Pachki Day. It's a, it's a Polish tradition. So in honor of Piątek, you need to get out and go get a Pachki. <laughs> okay, because I'm right. gonna go get one. All I right. might have a, I might have a damn box. Okay, <laughs> so he didn't, he didn't score against us, Wola, but we got, you know, in, in his honor, we should probably do that. There you go, so, side of pierogies. There you go, <laughs> pierogies. Yeah, it's, it's Fat Tuesday, and I just, I realized, and it's like Fat Tuesday. It's like I was just associated with Mardi Gras, and I didn't realize that, that Fat Tuesday. It's, it's Fat Tuesday because, you know, Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. When Fat Tuesday always precedes Ash Wednesday, and Fat Tuesday is your last day to just eat like garbage and just fatten up before you uh, enter the Lenten season and start, you know, making sacrifices for Lent, you know, and giving up things and things like that. So that's 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 the way it's been brought to me, and that's why they have Pachki Day. I guess the Polish tradition is they take all of their, you know, their grease and their flour and whatever they else to make these Pachkis. It's basically their jelly donuts, right? right. Um, and uh, and and they just they they take up take all that stuff up and they use it all up and then they make a whole shitload of pachkis because they want to get rid of it because the Lenten season's coming up and they're going to try to stray from eating those those sorts of things. So they should move pachki day to Friday because uh, in in Polish piątek means uh, Friday in English. So you know that's what we got to push for. That's what we've got to push for. That's you know that's that that's next on the agenda. One thing at a time, Richard. All right, baby stuff, baby <laughs> stuff. Let's, gotcha. let's let this guy's let's let's let let's let this guy's legend grow a little bit. So, all right, uh, we're gonna just whip through the rest of these games, Richard. Uh, Empoli Parma three uh, three. This one was exciting. Javinho uh, opening the scoring, a little trickery uh, on the set piece. They caught Empoli napping a little bit. Uh, Delorco would equalize, and then uh, it was Birigoni putting Parma back up at ha- uh, before halftime. Uh, my cousin coming through with a penalty to make it 2-2. Uh, Bruno Alves getting a goal in the 82nd minute uh, that they actually had to um, uh, go to a VAR review, but turned out that the goal was legit. So that's where VAR actually worked for once. Uh, and then in the uh, 91st minute, apparently Alves felt so bad uh, for the, the opponent that he decided to put one in his own net so that both teams can walk away happy with a draw. So <laughs> that was nice of him, wasn't it? Oh, that's a good so. guy. Very kind guy. Uh, Torino, we talk about how great they are. Oh, Andrea Bellotti, we see you. We do. Finally, 76th minute, uh, gets on the score sheet, and it's a goal of the week candidate. Also a goal of the week candidate in the 92nd minute was uh, Rincon, uh, and then uh, Zaza scoring in the 93rd. So Torino winning 3-0 uh, over Kievo. Um, Hello, Andrea Bellotti. Welcome to the 2018-2019 Serie A season. Nice goal, too. Yeah, yeah. And what is this, a sixth shutout in a row for Torino or something? It's something crazy like that. Torino's been playing something crazy really like that. I mean, defensively. People would be talking about Torino defend, more defensively if Milan wasn't on the run that they're on right now defensively. I thought you were going to say if they were Juve. <laughs> that, too. Oh, sorry, that too. Torino fans. 
They can never have any. They can never have nice things, can they? No, they can't. <laughs> oh. They can never have nice things. Um, all right. Well, uh, a game. This is a catch me up game. Genoa and Frozen on a nil nil. What the hell has gone on with Genoa all of a sudden? It's like you know, you sell a striker, you replace him with Sanabria. What's going on? Mm. Did he even? Pl- yeah, he even played. He played the whole game. So. Nil-nil in this one, and I think that there was a red card. Yes, Francesco Casata, uh, uh, a double yellow, got a yellow in the 21st, and then uh, got the second yellow in the uh, 34th, uh, Casata of Frosinone. Uh, but somehow, miraculously, Frosinone held on uh, and got a point here. Nil-nil there. Spall won, Sampdoria two, Quagliarello up to his old tricks in the fourth minute, and then would also get a brace in the 11th. Uh, Kurtic with a consolation for the Ferrara side. Um, I think uh, Petania, did he play? Yes, he played. Uh, played all 90 minutes uh, and is was fatter this week than he was last week. Um, yeah. It just it just keeps on going with him. Uh, Udine, uh, go ahead. Oh, I was saying, before we move on, yeah, uh, Qualarella had an opportunity twice for, for a hat trick in this game. Once... From uh, he tried to shoot from midfield, hits the post, and then another one just just sailed over the bar. Uh, he he was really going for the hat trick. He just missed it, but uh, man, he was all over the place in this one. Yeah, for sure. Um, looked like he was kind of back to his you know back to his old tricks and yeah. uh, played really well in this game. Um, Udinese two, Bologna one. This rounds up rounds things up. It was a Rodrigo de Paul uh, penalty. Uh, it was a Rodrigo Palacio equalizer uh, to make it 1-1, and then in the 79th minute, Ignacio Pusetto, uh, who in this game I thought was the best player on the pitch uh, for both sides, uh, gives Di Zabrete three big points. This was a relegation six-pointer, Richard. Very important game um, that uh, that flew under the radar, uh, and uh, the win goes to Davide Nicola's side. He knows a thing or two about trying to escape relegations, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Yep, did it with your uh, Cortoni. Do you still have that jersey, by the way? Of course I still have that jersey. That, that jersey is like the best thing I have. Wow. Wow. You you need to get out and do things and go and see the world. And they, that's, that's the best thing that you – Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, so, yeah, and uh, Pusato was fantastic in this game. Striker Larson also very good, uh, and obviously DePaul with the penalty. Um, Orsolini was the uh, assistant on Palacio's goal. Uh, just wanted to give him a shot because we want to make sure the young Italian players that are coming up um, are getting recognized for performing well. And in this case, uh, Orsolini played Orsolini pr- played pretty well for Bologna. Only uh, the Rosso Blue came up short. So, uh, out of those that I whipped through, Richard, anything uh, jumping out? I mean, Torino keeps on going. That's the, that's probably the one thing I take from this. Yeah, Torino defensively, uh, it's really, not only do they keep winning, but they're, defensively they've, uh, really shored up. And, you know, we talked about for a while that if Torino ever got their act together defensively, they could make a real push for things. And, I mean, as it sits now with, I think, I think what it is, six shots in a row, and they bumped up now to a seventh place tie with Lazio for 41 points, just three points behind Roma for the fifth spot. So, and look out now, but Torino, they're, uh, they're making waves really, really quickly. Yep, they're right there uh, asking the question, sitting in a, in seventh on 41 points. They're on the same number of points as Lazio and Atalanta. And we keep talking about these European places, Richard. I mean, Milan and Inter are starting to – I mean, Inter dropped points, obviously, here and lost to Cagliari, but they're still sitting in fourth on 47 points. Milan on 48. Um, 
you know, they're both in a position where they could conceivably run away with these Champions League places, uh, you know, considering how the Roman sides tend to trip over themselves, and maybe Torino and Atalanta are just a little too far behind. Uh, but do we still, I mean, I still think that if there's anyone that's going to unseat the two uh, Milanese clubs, it's it's Torino. I think they're the best equipped. Um the only reason why I think it's a long shot is because right now, I mean, 12 games left and sitting six points back. At this stage of the season, that starts to become a little too much to try to make up. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, but they're gonna. I think they'll make a good run at it. And if anything, they may get the uh, the um, the fifth spot. You know, over Roma there. Uh, this the the points that they're trying to catch with the two Milan clubs are a little bit a little too much to over some amount, but. Um, yeah, they're, they're a good squad. They, they are a, a, all the way around complete team. Um, other than Milan, you know, they're one of the most informed teams in the league. And, um, to look out now, Belotti's finally starting to score. We said, what happens if Belotti starts to score? He just started scoring. So, uh, let's see if he can get, keep that momentum going. If Torino can keep it going because, uh, Mazzari is, uh, his name is going higher and higher on, um, as far as, uh, potential manager of the year candidates. For sure. Uh, for sure. I mean, you can say Mazzari, you can say Gattuso, you can say uh, Ancelotti uh, with the job that he's done. Allegri's going to get his name in the mix if the Juventus ends up undefeated here. Um, all of these managers have been outstanding for their club so far. Um, you know, uh, you know, two thirds into the season. Um, so looking at so that's that's where we're looking at as far as the European places are concerned. Going back down to the drop. Empoli getting a critical point because now they're four points clear of Bologna. I still think Bologna is the more talented side and can uh, and and can wiggle their way out of this. But uh, boy, did Empoli really get a big three points or get a big point here against Parma? Yeah, they certainly did, and uh, they did it with some goals as well. It wasn't just like a nil-nil affair. Um, you know, they keep playing like this. They may uh, they may jump Spal and and they're they're slowly dragging Spal into this race and. Yeah, I agree with you. Bologna are the most, most talented of the top bottom five, probably. Um, but they're, they're, they're bound to get out of it sooner or later. But, uh, yeah, Empoli, those are big points, like you said. And, and like I said, with goals and they're doing with the, with the way they've been playing all season with, with attacking flair. And they just got to find a way to, if they can find a way to play some defense, uh, they can move up really quick. But it seems to be something that's, um, hard for them to grasp at the moment. Bologna host Cagliari. Uh, and then Empoli traveled to Roma. So there's every opportunity for this gap to go right back to one point after next weekend. Uh, and then Bologna get Empoli at the Delara on April 28th. Uh, so, uh, keep your eyes out. Keep your eyes out for that one because that could mean everything to these two teams, uh, when we get to the run in, um, as far as the, uh, as, as far as the relegation fight is concerned. And, and I wouldn't totally count out Prozanone. I know they, they had a couple of rough matches here in recent weeks. They, uh, they took their beating at the hands of, uh, of Juventus. They desperately fell short against Roma, but they get a point here on 10 men against Genoa. They host Torino here. I don't know if I like their chances there, but they've got some games here that are navigable after that. Ad Empoli, hosting Spall, hosting Parma, uh, and we'll, uh, you know, we'll see where they go from there. But I want to jump back up towards the top of the table. Actually, the mid-table, Richard. Fiorentina in 10th on 36 points. Can we lay dirt on their European prospects yet? Oh, man, it's, it seems like it, right? They're, what, five points off? As much as we want to see this team 
uh, do well and play in Europe. It, the teams in front of them, it's going to be hard. I mean, Lazio seem to regain their form. Well, at least got a win. They're, they're back in the saddle. And Romer's a little too far ahead. Torino's playing really well. Atlanta's playing well. So, and then look at, look at now Sampdoria, you know, they're getting, they're getting wins again. So I think it is time to say, um, you know, thanks for the season, but you're not going to get past mid table, I think, at this point. No, no. I mean, I think, you know, if they can pull it off eighth, might, might happen for them. I mean, they yeah. could possibly jump Sampdoria and, and snag one of these teams, but I think it's, uh, I think Europe's a bridge too far for Labiola at this point. So anything else you're seeing from, uh, from the play? And I think that you said Qualiarella now matching Ronaldo on goals. Yeah. He's, uh, he's now tied with Ronaldo on goals. So he's, you know, one of my, one of my pros of the week or surprises of the week. Um, you know, he keeps his, he, as he gets older, he's just getting better and better. It seems like it's fine wine and, Man, he's he's giving the big boys a run for his money for sure this year. And I mean, 19 goals, 12 games to go, 30 seems like it's gonna be a little too far for him. But you never know with him; you can't discount him. Um, he he seems just as lively as ever uh, with the ball at his feet. So uh, yeah, it's it's a great story for him. It just seems every every time every every year it seems like a a 30 30 plus year old uh, striker finds a way to get in the back of the Di Natale for so many years. Luca Toni. Um, now it's Quagliarella, so great stuff. For sure. Um, all right. Uh, before we get into our goals of the week, uh, give us a winner and a, give us a winner and a loser for match week 26. Um, a, a loser is uh, Roma, and um, I want to say Lazio is obvious, an obvious winner. Uh, you know, you know, I'm gonna go there. I'm gonna keep it in Rome. Lazio is the big winner <laughs> this because you know Lazio beat a top six team in Roma. Um, that's EDF's job is certainly on the line at this point because you lose a big game. You lose, lose a derby game. Um, just when we thought we knew what these two teams were about, they, they, they're opposites that come, and they come alive. So yeah, it's, it's, it's bad for Roma. I mean, they, this is a game we all thought they should have won, right? Especially with a team that had such a bad, poor record against the top six and they couldn't do it. And Lazio, they surprised us with a wonderful performance. And Caicedo, I mean, he, what more can say? He's got to be another, another winner of the week too because he got another goal. Um, this guy's really come to play for for Lazio, and he's helping them, you know, with their push trying to get back up in this. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to go to the individual players for uh, for winner and loser of the week. I, I, uh, winner this week for me is Papu Gomez, and and we're foreshadowing as as far as we get to the when we get to the goals of the week. But um, totally bossed this game here against Fiorentina, and uh, was the best player in that game. It was probably the best player in any game this weekend, in my opinion, uh, just on the individual performances. And then loser, it, I'm going to roam with you. I'm going to go with Robin Olsen. Um, and like I said earlier, it's and like we said earlier, it's not working. It's just not working. And uh, you know, the sooner EDF realizes that and gets Mirante in goal, he might be able to save his job. Might. So, um, you know, so my winner is Papu Gomez. My loser is Robin Olsen. So, goals of the week. Uh, let's hear yours, Richard. Uh, goals of the week. Um, let's go Belotti, number five. Cataldi, number four. Number three, we will go with, uh, Rincon. Two, go with, uh, Pjanic's free kick. And then number one, like you said, Papu Gomez. Not gonna have a problem with that. Uh, number five, Belotti, number four, Cataldi, number three, Rincon, number two, Pjanic, and number one, Pablo Gomez. And my honorable mentions did not happen in Serie A, did not happen in Italy. I'm going to go abroad. I said I was gonna go off the map, Richard. 
Yeah, you did. Um, uh, let's let's see where you're going with. Okay, well, first I'm going to start in England. Uh, Wait, are you in still a, uh, Yeah, I'm feeling <laughs> just fine. A West London derby. Ah. Um, they don't do derbies in England like they do in Italy. It's so sad. I mean, I said in the mercies. But anyway, um, uh, a certain uh, guy that's been getting blasted. Uh, by critics of English football, yeah. uh, and, and nonetheless, and uh, what does he do in a West London derby? And I get that it's Fulham, and you guys want to say all the shit that you want, but Jorginho scored a worldie, and that was a, a to to win the game for Chelsea against Fulham. So he makes honorable mention, even though this is Serie A sit down. It, I, this is our podcast. We can decide if we want to put teams outside of Serie A, players outside of Serie A into our uh, goals of the week. And if they're Italian players abroad, getting it done, we need to re- we need to recognize them. So, so uh, then, I guess you're going to mention um, the one in France, then. Yeah, yeah. Over at the uh, over at the uh, Stade Velodrome, uh, Marseille, a certain Mario Bellotelli uh, with a bike uh, off a uh, Florian Tolvan corner. Uh, the goal itself was brilliant. The celebration was even better. The selfie, uh, all over social media. We see you, Mario. We see you. <laughs> so finally, Mario. <laughs> yeah, finally, Mario. So my honorable mentions: a couple of uh, a couple of nazionales, one current and one former that might it might might possibly play his way back into nazionale. You never know. Uh, but uh, Jorginho and Mario Balotelli make honorable mention this week. So with that, we're going to put a bow on this edition of the Serie A sit-down. Richard, uh, where can they find you? You can find me at R underscore K-H-A-R-M-A-N. Anything uh, anything else to plug? Um, No, not really. I mean, jumped jumped on a couple pods this week. Uh, I was on Talking Football today, but that's more talking about the Bundesliga. But uh, on the Serie A front... uh, no, not much. Um, you know, yesterday I went to a DC United game, so uh, I'm just getting all over the place right now. So, oh, good for you, good for you. And I'm at FTC underscore twenty one uh, on Twitter uh, at City I Sit Down on Twitter or Instagram. Any comments on the podcast? Anything that you're hearing? Anything that you want us to cover? Uh, go there. Tell us. Uh, we'll be happy to uh, try to oblige you there. And thank uh, you to all the fans who uh, voted for the goals of the week. Uh, it helped out a lot. Yeah, we should point that out. Uh, we, we reached out to all of you. We usually try to do this ourselves. We reached out to all of you. Hey, what did you guys like for goals of the week? And, and you all responded. We definitely appreciate that. Um, we have our own channel on iTunes. Uh, we have our own channel on uh, SoundCloud. Go to uh, sit, look for Serie A, sit down, subscribe. Um, Stitcher, uh, we're there. We're on Spotify. We're just about anywhere you can do podcasts. Uh, so uh, do check us out. Do tell your paisans to check us out. Uh, for Richard, I'm Frank. This is the Serie A sit-down from World Football Index. And as always, keep on telling your paisans about us. Ciao.